Welcome back to the Lydia McGrew YouTube channel. Today I'm doing a follow-up to a video that I did a couple of weeks ago about the uh, claim of rainbow bodies. And this was a discussion of Dale Allison's book on the resurrection of Jesus that I did a couple weeks ago where Allison attempts to make a parallel of sorts between the claims for a rainbow body in Buddhism and the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. And if you recall, the alleged rainbow body phenomenon is that a uh, guru of sorts in, in Buddhism, a yogin, will disappear, his body will disappear or partially disappear after death, sometimes allegedly leaving nothing behind, sometimes allegedly just leaving a shrunken corpse behind. And the idea is that he has uh, been absorbed into light. And so then they'll claim that there are rainbows around around that time and so forth. And so it's deeply bound up with Buddhist um, theology, if you can put it that way. At the time that I made the video a couple of weeks ago, I had not read uh, other books that Dr. Allison refers to. He has an entire chapter, and I said, I think we ought to give Allison the benefit of the doubt that he's putting his best foot forward. And so if you think I'm missing something, please uh, tell me, you know, what there is that Allison somehow inexplicably failed to represent if he's underselling his case. Well, I got a, a certain amount of indignant response from Allison's fans, uh, one in particular on social media, who was just like, oh, yeah, I can't believe you're not going and reading this other book. And um, yet when I challenged him to point me to something about uh, this other book in particular by an author of a Catholic priest named Francis Tizo that somehow Allison hadn't even mentioned that would increase the strength of the case. He did not take me up on that challenge. So in the meanwhile, I have gotten hold of uh, Tizo's book and I'm doing a, a review of the evidential portions of Tizo's book here today concerning the alleged rainbow body phenomenon. And uh, spoiler, the reason that there wasn't anything else to tell that was in Tizo's book that somehow Allison failed to mention is because there isn't any more evidence that's striking that's important in Tizo's book. And Allison, if anything, was overselling the case rather than underselling the case, just as indeed I had expected. But I'm going to talk about that at a bit more uh, length and a bit more detail today. So. One thing I want to make clear is that Tizo only investigates one case, and he investigates that in detail. He actually goes to Tibet and he climbs up, uh, you know, into the mountains and he interviews people who were involved in that case. Tizo's book is, is good sized, but if someone was giving you the impression that because of the size of Tizo's book, he's examining many cases in detail or that the majority of that book is examining this case and just bringing mountains of evidence. That's false. That person is bluffing. Um, the majority of Tizo's book isn't really a case study at all. The The largest, you know, sort of chunks of Tizo's book are um, some scholarly interest that he has in comparative religion. So he's really a comparative religion scholar. You could think of him as an anthropologist. And he particularly has an interest in the history of Buddhism. 
and in possible influences during the time of the Byzantine uh, Empire hundreds of years ago between Eastern Christian mysticism or even Gnosticism and Manichaeanism and, uh, and then the, the religions of China and that there may have been some historical in influence there. And so he's writing, a lot of what he's writing is acquainting the reader with Buddhist theology, history of Buddhism in China, and uh, how that might intersect with other forms of contemplative spirituality. It's, it's a very definite section of the book that is devoted to his investigation of Kenpo Acho, the, um, the yogin whom he was interested in, who supposedly completely disappeared and attained rainbow body. So it's not a bunch of case studies. I, I want to make that clear. It's one, it's one case study that he goes into and that only, uh, you know, takes up a, a certain well-defined segment of the book. So I wanted to talk about some of the points that were most striking to me about the extreme weakness of the evidence here concerning uh, the Kenpo, as he's sometimes called, Kenpo Acho, uh, whom Tizo investigated. To me, the most striking point is that after he died, his body was completely covered and wrapped up in a cloth by the instruction of a, another uh, yogin nearby, um, a lama named um, Kayug, and that may not be the correct pronunciation. I tried to look it up. Uh, Kayug, who told the disciples of the Kenpo to completely wrap it up and not to look at it for seven days. Now, Allison, I think, is, is fairly clear on this, that he says the, the object which they took to be the body of Kenpo was shrinking every day, the object under the cloth. When I read it that way, um, this same rather aggressive person on social media, otherwise unknown to me, was most offended and implied that no, they, they were actually like seeing the body shrink before their very eyes day by day. No, I was right the first time. That is not the claim. Kayuk told them to cover it completely and not to look at it. Tizo is absolutely explicit about this on occasion after occasion after occasion. In fact, he even says that he he thinks it was generally the case that they would usually cover up uh, the person whom they thought was maybe going to achieve rainbow body and not look at the body for seven days. Now, he may be generalizing too quickly there from the case he investigated, but there is no question that in this case, they were not looking at it directly. Nobody saw it. He's quite explicit. Nobody saw the body directly for seven days. He even, uh, Tizo even says that maybe the body disappeared sooner. Yeah, maybe it did. Um, but he doesn't seem to mean that in the sense that I would mean it. But that because nobody saw it, you know, it's not clear exactly when it did disappear. Now, the next thing that's really just astonishing to me, because Tizo's trying at least to investigate this, um, but it, it just was so striking to me is that in his interviews, which he re he records, he tries to give you a sense of what questions he's asking to multiple people who were supposedly there at the time. He never asks a single question that is addressed to the possibility that someone came in when nobody else was around uh, and 
took the body and replaced it and wrapped some other object under the cloth. And then eventually, you know, took it away altogether. He never even addresses that. So here are some questions he doesn't ask. Who was left alone with the body? Could someone have come in and moved the body and wrapped something else up in it? Who visited? Did uh, Lama Kayug visit the hermitage during that time? How big was the window? There is a window in the hermitage. Uh, could someone have come in and out of the window? Was the door locked? Didn't even ask if the door was locked. If the door was locked, who had the key? Could there have been more than one key? Um, was it watched? Was, were there always two people there? Etc. He doesn't ask any of those questions. In fact, it's quite clear that Tizo assumes that nobody moved the body. In fact, one question he asks is when they unwrapped or, you know, when they took the wrap off at the end and there's nothing there, was there any mark on the, the wrapping? And he, in, in his analysis, he makes it clear that he's thinking of a decaying body and a decaying body would get, you know, icky. And that there, you would expect maybe some sort of marks of, of decay or corruption on the cloth if the body had been decaying under there during that time. But it, you know, it never seems to occur to him that someone might have moved the body very early on. And if, if you're going to investigate this, remember the disappearance of the body in this case is the big piece of alleged physical evidence. That's kind of like the center. I mean, even more so than in the case of Jesus' resurrection. Yes, we have the claim of the empty tomb, but there are more lines, more avenues of evidence such as these very uh, robust post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. I'll get to the comparison of that in a moment um, that we have in the case of Jesus that are not even part of the claim here. So the disappearance of the body is a biggie. And anybody who's interested in uh, mysteries and investigating mysteries, uh, there are, you know, mysteries where there's, you know, what happened, you know, somebody dies in a locked room, who could have gotten in there and so forth. It's just this obvious line of questioning. And Tizo does not follow up on that line of questioning. He doesn't engage in that line of questioning at all. It's just, it's shocking almost that he never explores it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what all the causes of this are, but I, I should mention that, um, Tizo's very interested in what he calls the insider and the outsider perspective, uh, the emic and the etic, he calls it, and toggling back and forth. And he's got a lot of passages where he indicates that he doesn't think it's in, in really possible to be all that objective and, uh, you know, what's the, the sort of truths of the heart are more important than the what can be videotaped. I'll probably read one of those here. Um, and... He even enters very strongly into the Buddhist mindset. He's like um, offering Buddhist prostrations and, and prayers. He's, um, you know, he's, he's trying to find a kind of syncretistic melding, even, even for his own practice of Buddhist spirituality and uh, what he regards as Catholic spirituality. I don't know if that's part of the cause of it or if he didn't want to offend people because questions about who could have moved the body might have seemed offensive, but whatever the cause, if it's just a lack of imagination or what, um, this is not a rigorous investigation. 
so if somebody is out there just getting all insistent and even, you know, aggressive, Francis Chiso did a rigorous investigation and by Jove, if he found this credible, then it's credible. And No, he didn't. He didn't even ask obvious questions. Um, and, and the amount of trouble that somebody goes to going all the way to Tibet and going up into the mountains, it's not necessarily the same thing as the, the rigor of the investigation. So I really, I really think we need to focus on this, on the, the sort of the lack and the, the gaps in that investigation. Okay, now I want to talk about Lama Kayuk. He's an interesting character. He was a friend of Kenpo, sometimes called the Kenpo and was the one who instructed the Kenpo's disciples to wrap the body and not look under there for seven days. Uh, we don't know, because the, que the question wasn't asked whether he visited the, the hermitage during that time. And uh, Tiso interviewed him, and he found him interestingly reluctant. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to have wanted to talk about his friendship with the Kenpo or the rainbow body details and so forth. And Tizo notes this and he tried to interview him uh, a couple of times. So here was a report about the second of these interviews. During this interview, Kayuk became more confrontational. I was in fact profoundly moved by a statement that he repeated several times, quote, you do not see the rainbow body with the bodily eyes, but with the eyes of the heart. As he spoke, Lama A. Kayug frequently emphasized the contrast between bodily eyes, Mig, and the eyes of the heart, Sems. So what's he doing? <laughs> this Lama is, is emphasizing the idea that, oh, you know, this is not an empirical matter. You see it, you see rainbow body with the eyes of the heart. This is huge red flag. This just should be like blinking, blaring red light as far as the, um, the, the empirical evidence and the reality, the physical reality of this alleged paranormal phenomenon. In fact, the Lama uh, then tells the story of visiting a Lama from another sect and he says he saw an image of the Buddha on this other Lama's forehead. Now, even Tizo understands this to be a non-literal statement meant to indicate symbolically a kind of an ecumenical spirit that this other Lama, you know, had some degree of spiritual attainment. Um, and so this, and yet this is supposed to illustrate the way that we see the rainbow body. Hmm. Okay. I'm continuing a quotation now. He also dodged further questions about his friend, Kenpo Cho, and returned to emphasizing the contrast between sights perceptible to the eyes, Mig, and that which is accessible only to the heart, mind, Sems. Now, even Tiza refers to this as evasiveness. He even uses the word evasiveness, but he's also clearly somehow emotionally impressed by it. He momentarily wonders if this means that Kayuga is saying that the rainbow body itself is a non-literal phenomenon, but he then dismisses this because Kayug also showed them some photos that showed some streaks of light coming off of Kayug himself. And so Tizo's like, oh, no, that, that seems to be literal. Well, not that the photos, I mean, we don't have these photos and the question of how well they could have been, uh, you know, faked or anything has not even been raised. Um, but I think we need to see that 
this this aggressive emphasis on hey you know you got to see this with the mind with the eyes of the heart okay this is why christians should never say this about jesus resurrection jesus was not merely perceptible to the eyes of the heart he was he was there you could have knocked on his skull that is the that is the christian claim that is why bodily resurrection is so important and Cayuga is obviously um dodging that and and making it clear that he doesn't put much stock in that kind of thing and he even challenged he's are you prepared to come and stay here and you know in other words he wants people to just enter so fully into uh being his followers that basically they're gonna accept accept what he wants them to accept um interestingly later here and again this just points something out about tizo's approach to all of this he talks about his own attempts to enter into a certain mindset of realization over the next few days and weeks this viewpoint matured into a constant state of awareness that seemed to blend my mind my perceptions of things and the things perceived into a single pure act i nurtured this awareness with readings from the avaduta gita so this is not a skeptic all right this is somebody who's yeah he's a catholic priest but he's also trying to meld uh his version of Catholicism with Buddhism. I feel that this mind state is a gift from the Yogin of Yachasgampa, that's Kayuk, who has passed away in recent years, apparently manifesting the rainbow body in a restricted form, as he promised. His words and his insistence on heart-mind, Sems, over physical seeing, Mig, crashed in on me and stayed with me. Perhaps that change of heart sums is more valuable than what might be recorded by a video camera so now we have tizo downplaying the the physicality and the importance of empirical evidence notice too um so kayug said he was going to manifest rainbow body tizo later receives a report it's, it's again very secondhand that he did not investigate that report at all that kayug manifested rainbow body and left a shrunken corpse behind no investigation of this does Tizo do, but he accepts it uncritically, apparently manifesting the rainbow body in a restricted form as he promised. So this is the rigorous investigator here. He just gets, you know, somebody says, oh yeah, you know, Lama Kayug, he, he, he shrunk. And, and Tizo goes, oh wow. Well, his words really crashed in on me about the greater importance of the eyes of the heart. Hmm. Okay. Now I want to emphasize too that there were not even any claims of group physical appearances. Uh, Allison says that uh, Kenpo reportedly appeared to many after his death. Um, we get more details about that when we read Tizo. He interviews one of the disciples who says, oh yes, he appeared to many. He appeared to them in dreams. And the disciple even um, describes one of the dreams of some a, a Buddhist nun who, that she was falling off a cliff and Kenpo saved her. I mean, it's just a dream. It's obviously just a dream. Um, so no claims comparable at all to the group appearance claims, which again, why do I emphasize that? For epistemological reasons, because that's the kind of thing that is very hard to be honestly mistaken about. At that point, you, you have to be lying. Whereas this nun could be completely telling the truth about this dream about Kenpo saving her from falling off a cliff. Um, the, the most 
the biggest one, the most striking one of this appearance, again, was a, a person alone, not a group at all, and that someone had a sense. He thought that Kenpo was pulling on his sleeve, tugging on his sleeve, and saying, study and be attentive. Super short alleged message, okay? And the thought that he was pulling his sleeve. But this, this is a, a one-man subjective experience, okay? Not anybody else, not intersubjectively verifiable. That's it. And that one was supposedly not, supposedly the person wasn't asleep. But other than that, you know, it's like, oh, many in dreams, okay? And I think the reason, frankly, that Allison tries to parallel these to the appearances of Jesus is because Allison has dismissed the um, portions of the Gospels that claim anything more. But in the, in the Rainbow Body investigations, they're grabbing all kinds of purely popular things. I mean, uh, Tizo includes an entire translated biography of the Kenpo in his Rainbow Body book that he himself calls hagiographical. So, you know, if we're going to just include things and say, well, this is what was claimed, then we, we ought to at least include the Gospels. Well, this is what was claimed. You know, why are you applying critical methods to shave away whole portions of the Gospels and not even treat them as data at all? But every claim that anybody makes, however hagiographical, about the Kenpo is part of our data set. That's a double standard. Interestingly, and to me a little surprisingly, because I think Tiza was trying to do a compare-contrast with Christianity, and as a student of comparative religion, he, he wants to just kind of put the claims and statements out there and see how to explain them. Um, when he does a compare-contrast between Jesus' resurrection and the Kenpo, he doesn't even mention this difference in the content of the claims made about post-mortem appearances, even though it's an extremely striking difference. So again, if you hear uh, people saying, oh, well, the Kenpo appeared to many. Well, the Kenpo is not claimed to appear to many in anything like the same sense that Jesus was. Now, I want to notice something else about risk. Looks to me from reading Tizo's book like the stories of the disappearance of the body of Kenpo were made within, largely within a Buddhist context. In other words, Buddhist to Buddhist. Um, just people who either maybe they were his followers or maybe they weren't his followers, but it's, a, it's in this popular religious context that it's being shared among fellow Buddhists. Yes, Buddhism is persecuted by the communist authorities, but the mere fact that a religion is persecuted and that a claim occurs within that religion does not mean that the claim itself is a claim for which the people making the claim expect persecution or receive persecution. It looks as if nobody has been persecuted for claiming rainbow body for the Kenpo. Um, and it looks like they're chiefly circulating it among people who are predisposed to believe it. I want to mention something here, and this is relevant to the whole rainbows appearing after the person dies. Um, Tizo quotes someone named Kapstein, who also investigated these things. And Kapstein admits that when he was in Tibet in these regions, 
that these regions in the mountains have a lot of rainbows. I mean, just, you know, he says, some, many evenings I saw an entire light show. I thought that was a very interesting phrase. And he takes it to be a natural phenomenon. And he asked a local person, and the local uh, Tibetan said to him, oh, yeah, well, maybe uh, someone near here achieved rainbow body recently. And there's no, like, there was no independent reason to think that. So they're that eager, that quick to think of these as indicating that somebody's achieving rainbow body. It's that ingrained in the popular religion of the region that even though it was happening over and over again when Capstein was there, oh, you know, rainbows here, rainbows there, light show here, light show there, the local guy says, oh yeah, I don't know, maybe somebody around here is achieving rainbow body. All right, that's the context in which this is being made in which this claim is being made is to people very predisposed to believe it and to accept it. There's nothing parallel to that in Christianity. They were establishing a new religion, a new uh, form of worship that they were supposed to worship Jesus, okay? And they were establishing it to Jews, from fellow Jews to Jews, um, right in the heart of, of Jerusalem, which is where Jesus had just been crucified. They're going out there. They're on the street corners. They're literally announcing loudly to an audience that is going to contain both hostile and possibly receptive, possibly not receptive. They don't know, but they, they're they like, we got to tell it. Um, they're making these claims, okay, in not just in a vaguely hostile context, not just as a persecuted uh, religion, but to establish something new, okay? And to establish something that their audience was not expecting to hear. And then they attest it even directly to the hostile religious authorities. Peter and John say, we cannot stop telling what we have heard and seen. There is nothing remotely similar to this in the case of the Kenpo. Okay, yeah, they talk to Tizo. They don't anticipate any problem for talking to Tizo. He's coming in there. He's very sympathetic and he wants to interview them. No, no danger to them that I can tell. And then other than that, it's, it's circulating within Buddhist circles. Um, there actually is a religious motive that emerges in, in some of these other sections of Tizo's book. Apparently, the rainbow body is meant to indicate the realization, the attainment, the religious attainment of that person by means of many prostrations, many sayings of mantras. And so like in the biography of the Kenpo, it says like how many times he had said these different mantras, very works-based idea. And then what lineage he was in, a little bit like what we would call the apostolic succession in some branches of Christianity. Was he in a good lineage? Was he in the true lineage? Was his form, because there are different sects of Buddhism, uh, correct and so forth. And there's competition. There's a certain amount of competition between these different sects, but they're not murdering each other or killing each other that I can tell. It's a religious competition. So very easily could be motivated to indicate that the Kenpo is a true, um, you know, a true yogini is truly attained the highest degree of realization, and therefore his lineage is a true Buddhist lineage. Um, I see as an entirely plausible theory that some small subset of his disciples, uh, possibly under the influence or direction of Kayug or Kayug himself, 
could have moved the body, replaced it with other objects, and then eventually removed everything when other disciples who might not have gone along with that were not, were not watching. But again, hey, you know, we're doing this to promote something that's a truth of the heart, something that we see with the heart. And um, th it would have been extremely er easy to do and then extremely easy to circulate this among people. There's no will, no interest among those who are originally circulating it to investigate this or to propose other uh, alternative theories. And they're, they're just going to accept that. And then this attests to the holiness of the Kenpo. Uh, that seems to be extremely plausible. I want to emphasize something here. There are miracles told, even in the book of Acts, in the Bible, that I would not take from that account alone to establish Christianity. I believe that those miracles occurred because I have other reason to believe Christianity is true and that, for example, the apostles had power from God to perform miracles, particularly at the beginning. But take, for example, the resurrection of Dorcas, Tabitha. It's a brief account in the book of Acts. It was apparently circulated among the Christians. It wasn't, it doesn't appear to have been something out there that they were, you know, going to the religious leaders and saying, hey, Dorcas rose from the dead, so all should believe, okay? Um, and again, I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but I'm saying the evidence of just that account would not be enough to cause me to risk my life and commit myself to Christianity on the basis of the account and acts of the resurrection of Dorcas. I commit my life to Jesus on the basis of the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, because that was being subject to greater scrutiny and was being attested to, to a hostile audience. And yet Christianity was being persecuted at that time. There was this broadly hostile context, but nobody was being persecuted specifically for making that claim, as far as I can tell. But people definitely were persecuted for specifically making the claim that Jesus had risen and had risen physically and making a claim that they could not have been easily mistaken about. There may very well have been disciples of the Kenpo who really believed that his body, sincerely believed that his body disappeared in a paranormal fashion, uh, but they could easily have been mistaken about that if somebody else quietly moved it and risked nothing for doing so. Um, I want to read something here at the end to kind of wrap up here. This is from Tizo, Tizo himself in his history of uh, religion in, in this region. Even native Tibetan historians fabricated hidden treasures and created spurious accounts of miraculous deeds. These habitual failures of disclosure, aka lies, that's my my gloss, render all Tibetan religious narratives suspect, requiring independent verification from non-Tibetan sources. That's Tizo. Now, if he thinks he's providing this independent verification from non-Tibetan sources, I, I think he should have asked more questions. Here's another phrase. He refers to, quote, the world of pious deception and devout fantasy that seems to have a long history in Tibetan religion. So he admits that the, the world of pious deception and devout fantasy is that this is, this is common 
in, in Tibetan religion. Now that's, that's a really striking admission, I think, and should have led to a more, a more detailed investigation. Now, Tizo, I will just mention one other case, which Tizo does not investigate. I really want to emphasize Tizo does not investigate this one. He just hears about it. Same way you're just hearing about it. If you read Allison's book, okay, it's not investigated. And this is what I'll call the nephew case. So this was a case where somebody actually did suffer some persecution. This was a completely different person. Um, a uh, Buddhist leader guru died and his nephew thought that maybe his body was shrinking. Now, we don't know details of this. Again, Tisa didn't investigate this, but the nephew thought the body was manifesting shrinkage. You know, was that some kind of curling up or what? So the nephew started trying to measure it and then he left the body and he went to a city uh, and tried to get the attention of the media to his shrinking uncle and he went back to where the body was and Tiso says he found the shrinkage had stopped and Tiso says it was an embarrassment to the family and the nephew cremated the body. Now Allison uses some phrase like the communist authorities uh, put a stop to it. They did put the nephew in prison, apparently only temporarily, because in, in Tizo, it sounds like it was after he got out of prison that he cremated the body. So it couldn't have been, you know, that long, if that impression is correct, couldn't have been that long that he was in prison. Um, so he did actually suffer for that claim, but he himself apparently had admitted that he found, oh, the shrinkage had stopped. Oops, uncle's not shrinking anymore. And he cremated the body. Tizo considers this to be very strong evidence. And it's funny, he kind of he kind of moves away from talking about the Kenbo case in one in one case, because he's talking about the possibility that this is a pious fraud with with Kenpo. And uh that he says, but there was this nephew case, this case of the nephew. If there wasn't really something paranormal going on, why did he draw attention to himself and sort of stick out his neck to make this claim? Whoa, 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 whoa honest mistake. He doesn't even consider honest mistake. So in Kenpo's case, he doesn't consider the possibility of fraud by some subset of the people involved, and then maybe, you know, being taken in by the others. In the nephew case, he doesn't consider honest mistake because by his own admission, the body, you know, sort of started to shrink he thought and, and like some of the other signs of, of the rainbow body was animals sat near the house motionless and were staring at the house i mean that is not not impressive okay um so the nephew again obviously very predisposed to believe in this rainbow body phenomenon starts to think maybe his uncle is attaining rainbow body goes out you know, he obviously takes it literally, goes out, tries to get the attention of the media, comes back, whoops, it's not happening anymore, gets thrown in prison, and then cremates the body, and it's an embarrassment to the family. I don't think of that as strong evidence for the reality of the phenomenon of rainbow body, and I don't think you should either. 
Now, at this point, I think I've really covered, I've hit the main points. There's always going to be that one person out there who's going to say, hey, you didn't talk about this, and hey, you didn't talk about that. Um, that's true. I, I could say more. But I've definitely hit, you know, the, the, the light show and the disappearance of the body, you know, and the claim that he appeared to many. And I, I think these are, these are the important points to hit. So um, if you're interested further and you want to see whether I've represented fairly, feel free to get hold of Tizo's book. But I think this is, this is pretty thorough. And we should think about this. And we should not be too quick to be saying, oh, this is similar to Jesus' resurrection, that's similar to Jesus' resurrection. Epistemologically, Jesus' resurrection is very, very unusual, and I would argue unique. I don't know if there's going to be a video next week or not. I haven't decided yet if I'm going to be able to do that. But if you will like, subscribe, and hit the bell for notification, you can be sure to get a notification whenever the next video comes out here at the Lydia McGrew YouTube channel, where we're making common sense rigorous.